Welcome to Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. Here's your host, Stacey Jones. Welcome to Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. I'm Stacey Jones, and I'm so happy to be here with you all today, and I want to give a very warm welcome to Larry Weil, the sponsorship guy. Larry is a sponsorship engagement strategist and customer acquisition specialist for some of the nation's most recognized brands. His mission is to increase the value and effectiveness of sponsorships for event producers, sponsors, and attendees. Larry has bought and sold sponsorships for over 20 years, ranging from the Super Bowl to monster trucks and tech conferences to barbecue festivals. And he's likely seen every kind of sponsorship tactic and activation that events and brands can use. His skills as an expert seller, negotiator, presenter, and strategist have connected him to many of Nation's most recognized brands and properties, leading him to over 200 million in sponsorship transactions and building a database of over 4,000 brand and industry contacts across trade shows and conventions, visitor bureaus, entertainment and sports properties, financial services and tech, and fully digital properties. Larry's considered an expert resource for media and has been quoted or featured on ABC News, SB Nation Radio, Sports Business Journal, Fox Business News, and so many others. He is also a sought-after speaker and panelist and was presented at the International Congress and Convention Association, World Congress, City and Regional Magazine Association, and other events. Today, Larry and I are going to discuss many of the mistakes events make when pursuing brands for sponsorship and how to do so better. We'll learn what works from Larry's perspective, what should be avoided, and how some businesses just miss the mark. Larry, welcome. So happy to have you here today. Well, thank you very much for having me. You know, I you did that so well. I'm even impressed with me. So I'm, I'm thrilled to, uh, to be here and to be speaking with you. Well, you have a long and storied career of successes, and that's why I had you here today. And for our listeners, Larry and I got to meet each other recently in Dallas, and I'm really impressed with his very wide breadth of knowledge within the sponsorship space. And so I wanted him to be able to come on and share some of that knowledge where you as a brand might learn a little bit from how sponsorship companies, those looking for your dollars, look at you. Um, So Larry, what I'd love for you to do is dive in and share a little bit about how did you get here today? Wow, that's a a long story, but I'll, I'll, I'll chop it down. I kind of backed into it by accident. I had uh, sold a, a company that I owned in Northern California about 25 years ago, and I was a trailing spouse following uh, my wife to AT&T in San Antonio. I started working on my MBA and I got a call one day from a fellow who used to work for me, who is now the president of an event activation company. And he said, hey, can you do me a favor? I need somebody to go shop my contractors up at the Texas Rangers, uh, not knowing you know, his Texas geography very well. Uh, that it wasn't very close. And I went up and it was pretty easy to tell that they weren't doing uh, what was hoped for. Uh, you know, if you're not there on time, that's a pretty easy check. And before you know it, he's like, please come work with us. Um, it, you know, you can really help us out. And so I started about a seven year career with passage events and promotions in which I initially took over operations and then kind of flipped into sales. 
when I first got there, about 80% of our business was with MBNA, for those who remember the old credit card affinity wars. And uh, it was right in the middle of that. And so I traveled to so many professional venues, college venues, you know, and really got to know folks. This was really what gave me the staying power was not only going out and doing the activations, but you were really the representative for the client most of the time. And so you were speaking with the sponsorship people and the, and the operations people, and sometimes the, you know, the management of the team or the venue or both. And uh, that led to a lot of collegiate opportunities and so on. We were fortunate and then we brought in uh, uh, Starbucks, Procter and Gamble, you know, some other big ones really on with activation strategies around sports. And then from there, it kind of grew. Uh, after seven years of being on a plane five days a week, it was kind of time to stop that. Uh, I, I really had to go to some of the people I knew who sold sponsorships for a living or bought sponsorship for a living. And I said, would you buy from me? Tell me the truth. Don't hurt my feelings because I don't want to make a bad career choice here. You know, because it's one thing when you have the backing uh, of somebody uh, and, uh, like a big brand, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's easy to get them to pick up the phone, but not so easy to get them to pick up the phone when, when things changed around. And they, I don't know whether they were just trying to build my confidence, but they said yes. And so I did it. And I started off with a couple of clients and uh, uh, stayed in sports mostly uh, for the first uh, six or seven years. But I've migrated more recently, uh, I, you know, digital has changed a lot of things. So, you know, there's a lot of uh, tech events, conferences, food events that have all become, you know, the experiential economy is a big thing. And it's a great way for brands to target audiences on a little bit more refined basis. And so that's really the core of my business is trying to find that, you know, sweet spot for the sponsor and, and make the case with data and, you know, other, you know, other rationale as to why this is a, a better choice than some of the other places they might have been investing their money in before. When you're working with a sponsor company, how, how should they be actually setting up themselves for success like how should they be does it start with the proposal does it start with the ideation does it start with figuring out how much money they need like where do they actually start because you know at our agency I get so many opportunities for clients <laughs> to come in that are just crap I mean god and I'm just like sitting there going can't you spend a little bit of time and effort can't you spend oh your deck looks like something a third grader did there's so many awesome tools out there right now that you could be using oh your pricing is just off the charts and what you're actually giving back to the client is nothing that is of value and there's so many places that they go wrong and there's few that really have it dialed in unless they're truly, truly professionally um, executed and very large. So where do you start as? Well, even the, even the big agencies make mistakes. Um, you know, their materials may be more professional, but sometimes their activation, you know, isn't, isn't 
as strong as it could be. So where I always start, and this is really the core of what I do, is if a company that has a property that, in my opinion, could provide substantial value for, you know, a, I want to say a segment, you know, of, of types of companies uh, in terms of their marketing and so on, then I sort of dig in and find out what they have, how they've been presenting it. And, and you're right, most of the time, the problem is how they're telling their story. A lot of these properties, you know, do have something, mm -hmm. but it's maybe not completely there yet. So what I always start with is I say, if I was an attorney, we would call it discovery, right? Mm -hmm. and, and surprisingly, a lot of these properties have not really done discovery on themselves. Mm -hmm. And very often they think they're unique and, oh, we've got this special way of, you know, doing a, a virtual conference and sponsors are going to flock to us. Well, you know what? It just, you're competing. And this is really important for them to understand. You're not just competing with other people who do exactly what you do. Mm -hmm. You're competing with anything this, this, the sponsor thinks will advance their business. Yeah. And if they think going out and getting a bunch of billboards, you know, is, is going to be better than doing your event, that's what they're going to do. Yeah. And so the context has to be not just, you know, other events. If you're a food festival, another food festival, it has to, it has to be a good value. And you have to understand basic marketing, acquisition costs, understand how the sponsor likes to go about it and really present it to them in a way that says, we understand the value proposition we're offering to you. We have a way for you to engage your ideal customer at a cost that's attractive and at a volume that will move the needle. And almost nobody comes in the door with that. So, you know, the cost and the volume and the alignment. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I mean, I could go on for hours just on the the presentation stuff but i i think with most folks and and they get a little frustrated with me sometime because it's no you've got to do more homework you are not ready you know it's like giving the commencement address or something you got to practice you got to rehearse you have to have all the materials you can't go wing it that's just too much because it's so hard to get through and i you mentioned how many things you get I, I used to hate it when I'd run into somebody who says, oh, yeah, go to this link and we've got some software that will evaluate your opportunity. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I mean, how that is that really how it works or is that just what they do to sort of get you, you know, off the off the list? And I, Anything to like get people to cull themselves down. Right. It's yes, like right. us, any anyone who's an intern who applies to our agency has to submit a TikTok video just in order to get through the door. So they're just giving you an app to have to do because it really is dreadful out there. And like, you get overwhelmed. Like we get paper overwhelmed with resumes and brands get absolutely overwhelmed with all dollar opportunities. And unless you are really close to that brand and have a really great relationship, it's hard to get your foot in that door. Yes. And, you know, should you do it? That's why it has to be perfect. And people mm -hmm. are just way too casual uh, about that. Yeah. And, and so, you know, as you mentioned, I've been on that side of it too, where I have a brand that says, okay, all the sponsorship proposals that are coming into us, we're sending them through you. 
you filter mm -hmm. them and then you only tell us about the ones you know and you think it you know at first it's so fun to be on the other side of it right and then you know and then after you got i mean probably the worst one i ever got is you know when you buy a case of copy paper and it's got like 12 reams of copy paper in it mm -hmm. i got a uh, mailed to my office unsolicited um, a box that big from a race team okay that had that was full of every press release and information newspaper article that ever happened in like the 25 years they've been around that's a lot uh, yeah that's a lot and they spent a lot sending it to me and it's like why would you do that you know it's just but people have you know i've had people mail me uh, lunch boxes, you know, that were all branded up with stuff on it and little messages inside, you know, it's, it's, you know, I get it. There's trying to break through, mm -hmm. but at the end of the day, uh, there is risk for a sponsor to change what they've been doing successfully. Mm -hmm. so unless you have some reason to know that they're looking to change mm -hmm. or they've got a new product launch, which to me is always a great opportunity because mm -hmm. one, you know, they have budget if there's a new product launch and two, they are not entrenched in how they've been, been doing that. Mm -hmm. um, but other than that, um, you know, you have to understand that, well, I had a guy tell me once, so his company was, uh, uh, or the thing that he, they put a lot of, it was a grocery brand and they were putting coupons in the Sunday paper, right? Mm -hmm. They had the flyer and they'd pay the grocery store to, chain to put their stuff in there and i think we all know that the results from those things are very small percentages of those ever convert but they know how much is going to convert <laughs> they know how many are going out and they know what it's worth for sure mm -hmm. they've been doing it for years and years and years it's a science it is an yeah. absolute science that they can data track and pinpoint and they review it and if there's a blip at all after a campaign they know that something went off the rails so, you know, so what the guy said to me, and it's not even important what I was suggesting something that was actually in store that I felt could, could work well. And he said to me, you know, I really like the idea, Larry, but here's the problem. If I take the money out of those ads to put it into your thing and it doesn't work, I'm going to get fired. Hmm. So, you know, you, people have to, you know, a lot of the folks that have these events are entrepreneurs or risk takers, and they have to understand that their client is not necessarily, is, is probably the opposite of that. Mm -hmm. Their prospective client is probably the opposite of that. And so you have to, you know, really be prepared to listen and understand what their, uh, their concerns are. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we could roll, you know, roll on and on and on about all the things they're doing wrong. I mean, you could, you know, mention all the decks you get that are terrible. A lot. I, it's, it's, to me, it's like, is it a lost art? Was it ever an art? Um, it's just, there's a lot of folks that confuse sending stuff out with getting things done. Yeah. Right. You'll talk to somebody who's new in doing this and they'll say, oh, yeah, I sent this over to Coca Cola and I got an email back saying they were reviewing it. <laughs> you know, like they're like, gonna do it they're gonna sign up yeah, to my event yeah, they're in and they're coming yeah. in at the million dollar mark yes and i'm moving it in the crm from you know a prospect to you know it's going to close in a week <laughs> you know and i'm yeah uh, and you're like good luck actually hearing back from them <laughs>
Well, Ever. it was in the, in the old days, it was, you know, do you have a brochure you can leave with me? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you know, uh, send me something that I can delete as soon as I get right. it. Now it's, can you fill out my software, my, you know, my evaluation proposal software that I have, it's going to take you two, two and a half hours to submit. And then no one's really going to ever actually get around to reviewing it. Yeah. And it's kind of like the old, you know, the RFPs, right? You Mm -hmm. know, how much time are you willing to spend on RFP kind of is in, you know, opposite relativity to what do you think the chances are you'll actually get it, you know? Because, you know, sometimes they have to put out an RFP, Mm -hmm. especially if you're dealing with some kind of a, you know, governmental agency or something like that. You know, you have to fill out RFP. That's the only way we do it. And, you know, and we're not going to tell you how we're going to evaluate it. You know, our purchasing expert, you know, will negotiate with you who knows nothing about media or something like that. So I I just kind of got to the point where I if they're putting me into that, I don't know anybody who's ever gotten a big deal submitting it that way. No, just not magically. They put it in there and then the million dollars has come into them. That doesn't happen all the time. No, no, apparently not. At least well, I haven't met anybody. But I did have somebody tell me once when I was talking to them, they said, and I, I will leave the brand out of it, but a giant brand said, well, you know, we've implemented this new evaluation portal. And uh, you have to be in it to get accepted, but we've already talked, you know, so it's just kind of, you just have to be in there in order for me to give you the business. Well, that's like being registered with procurement, right? Like at a lot of brands, it's the same thing. You're registered. So they vetted you, they have your tax ID, they understand, you know, they have W9s, all of those things. They know what's going to happen. Yes, they do. Yeah. So what is the better approach? What should these companies be doing who are looking for dollars because they're never going to be able to actually do their event without having them? Well, the approach I like, and, and it is the downside of it is it's not fast, but um, you know, because a lot of people come to me and I automatically have to decline working with them because it's, you know, it's six weeks until their event or something. Mm -hmm. And it's just, that's, you know, there's a timeline for big brands to work with, and that's not it. You know, it might be next year, but, you know, I like to try to create inbound inquiries. Okay. That's how my business works. And so if you can, you know, if you've got a good media team, a good PR team, you know, good blog access, that kind of thing, I've always found that brands, anybody would rather buy than be sold to. Mm-hmm. They love ideas that are their own. They're, you know, they're reading a trade magazine and they go, oh, look at that. This looks awesome. This is a giant food festival is happening and we, oh, we got to be there. And then they call you. I always say the best call from you always starts with, you know, hello, you know, rather than trying to, you know, get through the gatekeeper who more and more is just their voicemail now because mm-hmm. you know, nobody answers the phone. It's very rare for anybody to answer the phone. And so my number one thing is, you know, get your clients out there, get them on your website, get them on like, get them to, I can't tell you how many of them don't even have a LinkedIn profile. So if somebody was looking for an event company to do something, they couldn't find them. Right. And so, and then when they get there, they don't know what they do. So I think that's the number one thing is to understand that this can be done two ways. Because outbound has its challenges. So then you get to outbound and there's really two kinds of outbound. There's cold and there's warm, right? Mm -hmm. And the warm 
you have to be, you know, I always uh, you know, tell new clients to say, look, I wish I could wave my magic wand and go, poof, here's your sponsorship just by calling somebody I know, but I'm not going to compromise my relationship with a brand by sending them something that I am not convinced is a great opportunity for them. Because okay. otherwise they're going to say, you know, it's that Larry guy again with another. He comes with crap to us. Let's not yeah. bother taking his call this time. Yes, exactly. And you do that a time or two and then suddenly, you know, you're a relationship that you've worked on and, and you'll get, you know, I'll get clients who say, well, why won't you reach out to them? Well, it's because it's not right for them. Where I have had, there's a guy I know with a big agency in New York and he always says, everything's good for everybody. And I'm like, no, not really. No, <laughs> everything is not good for everybody. I mean, maybe, you know, if you could sell every, everything to everybody, that would be fantastic for anybody. But uh, so, you know, the first thing is making sure that you're credible. If, you know, if you're talking about a warm lead, you have to have respect for their time. I'm a big believer in what's called the one sheet, right? Mm -hmm. Because somebody, nobody's going to read that deck the first time. They're not going to go through a whole deck. They don't care about most of the information that's in there. I used some software for a while that I'd send the deck with a link. And what the software would do is it would say, okay, um, Stacy opened your, your deck that you sent her. Mm -hmm. okay. Oh, look, she, she looked at page one, the cover page for seven seconds. And then she looked at the next eight pages for about three seconds each. And then she got to the last page 45 minutes on the last page, which is probably when Stacy went to lunch. You know? <laughs> no, Stacy really, really enjoyed reading the sponsorship deck and she wanted to personally hand type it back out again. So she's just on that yeah. page copying yeah. the brilliance. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I came to understand that they're not reading it, you know, and I would have client, you know, prospects, I would call them back and they would, uh, you know, I would say, well, what did you think of the deck? And they go, oh, great. And I knew they hadn't read it, you know, and it's not, not that they're trying to be sneaky. You have they're to busy. Understand. Yes. They have jobs that are not about reading the crap that you're sending over to them or the brilliance. They're hoping that just magically the brilliance is going to happen, but yeah. they don't necessarily have the bandwidth to spend even more hours on a job that they're overwhelmed and sorting through it always. Yes, and, and that is exactly the problem. And that is the, the biggest point of contention with somebody who's reaching out, who's not familiar with this, is that they don't understand that. And mm -hmm. I try to say, I'll say, look, you, you got time to talk to me for an hour about something, you know, that doesn't move your business forward? Well, not really. Well, neither do they, you know? So, you know, let's get to that point. So then it becomes, so what are you going to put if you can get their interest and that, you know, comes with value propositions, which is mm -hmm. a whole master class on, you know, how do you write a subject line? It comes really down, you know, are you, whether you're get, leaving it in a phone message or you're sending it in an email or some other way, you're promoting it through social media. What's the value proposition? Okay. And, and people don't even, you know, sometimes they think a value proposition is, you know, it's an elevator pitch, you know, it's no, it's not an elevator pitch. It's, it's, yeah, it's even more condensed than that. What is, by, are you going to accomplish? What can we do for you that nobody else can do? You know, we can bring you 
you know, I say, and I don't like these, but you know, they're succinct. All the emails we get every day where somebody says they can generate 25 new leads for us by tomorrow if we hire them, you know, now you have to be specific on, on what you're doing. So if you have a great value proposition that resonates, then you've got a chance that they'll open it. I, you know, sometimes I say it's almost like clickbait. You're having to balance what have you got to do to get somebody on a cold email that doesn't know you to open it. So it's got to be relevant. It's got to be short. You know, you've, we've got these phones that, you know, how many words can you get across the subject of an email on your phone? Maybe four. Mm-hmm. And you get these people who write, you know, 10 word long things. Yeah. Hi, my name is Larry and I'm working at it. And they're out, you know, yeah. whether, whether it's the phone message or not. So what, you know, if they can get it open, then the first big mistake they always make is, you know, is, is the old saying of, you know, the radio station WIFM, you know, what's in it for me. And um, they usually start out talking about themselves. You know, it's like, oh, we're on the cutting edge of technology and have done this and that. And, you know, and they don't get to what's in it for the sponsor. And just enough. All I'm trying to I always say my goal in these kind of communications is to get them to want to know more so that I can have a real conversation with them on the phone, not to answer all their questions because they're not going to read it anyway. And so, you know, the key is get them to open it and then maybe three bullet points, maybe okay. three bullet points. I don't even put, you know, you know, deliverability is a huge issue today, right? Because yeah. people, that's another wall that people have up. They get so much stuff. So you have to, you know, be careful about making sure they can even get through. So, you know, once you do that, keep it very succinct and very basic. I don't put links in it. I don't put attachments on them, anything that's going to, possibly keep it from getting through and once they responded then you're going to get through going back so um because the links the attachments all may end up putting you into a spam filter that's right that's right that's what they're looking for especially if you have not emailed them before how long an email do you usually send like is this Five paragraphs explaining everything under the sun and the fantasticness of this event and the reason why they have to do it. And oh my gosh, or is it just very simple? Very simple. Two or three points, just enough to get interest. Now, you know, when I'm doing a full campaign in behalf of someone, what I do is I set up a cadence of emails and that cadence of emails may have between five and seven or eight emails. And they may get one once a week or twice a week, kind of depending on what it is and it's based on you know a little more information so i don't have to get all the information in the first one but if they recognize it it's like there's a little trick i have and i think it you know all this stuff is like a batting average right you know if you look at somebody who's an all-star who bats 300 and somebody who's not who bats 200 that's really only one out of 10 more times they're hitting it. And this is the same kind of thing. So what can you do to get them to respond? So what I do, and you can do it in either order, but I prefer to leave a voicemail first and I'm saying, Hey, look for my email, you know, just so even if they listen to it and they delete it, but again, you can't put that at the end, you know, Hey, it's Larry. I'm going to send you an email about da 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 da. Okay. 
So like, okay, Larry, Larry against twice they've heard about me. A little more chance that it's, you know, it's going to get open. So you need all those tactics, but they only work if what you're talking about is relevant. And to your point about all of the information, I think the reason that people make that mistake, and I've seen some, and I'm sure you have ridiculously long form uh, presentations in which it's just, it's like a book or something that they put or they write on and on and on. And I think what motivates that is that uh, properties are afraid that if I leave something out, that's going to be the one thing that would have got the deal done. 100%. You know? Larry, I am guilty of this on the our own events that we do. Like I go off on these tangents and I'm like, oh, I can paint a vision in words of why they should join us. And then I'm like, hearing grasshoppers and crickets in my yard <laughs> and they're not coming through yeah. my computer in response. Yeah. And I, this is probably the finest writing I've ever done. You know, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's genius. You know, yes. And you know, why won't they respond? You know, can't they see that this is going to change everything for the better for them? You know, am I, I yeah. sure I'm not in their spam folder? <laughs> Did they but really hit delete on me? No. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, I had a, a colleague in, in the L.A. area reach out to me uh, not too long. She, and she was horrified. She said, you know, I'm, my emails aren't getting to people. You know, and I'm like, what do you mean? She said, I, well, somebody said that, you know, I was in the spam filter and I started calling people and they were not getting my emails. And I'm like, well, do you know about, you know, sort of optimizing emails so that they will get delivered and, and trigger words. I mean, I have this software that I use that will read the email and it'll say, these are the words that trigger things for the spam filter. Okay? And I was shocked at what some of the words are. The one that got me the most, okay? and these are, you know, these are all common. That's a huge industry of keeping you from getting through, right? Yeah. And so the big spam, you know, you think, you know, the obvious kinds of things, sale and deal and offer and those things, opportunity. Mm -hmm. How many times have, have I put in there opportunity? This is a fantastic opportunity. And so you have to come up with words that, you know, and you do end up in the end writing something better, but you, mm -hmm. there's lots of free software out there. I encourage everybody run your emails through there first, let them, you know, Is there any you, that you like that software wise that you can think of right now? I'm putting you on the um, spot totally, but just tool wise. Um, no, 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 no. I, I, there are, uh, it's just, I can't think of this one. There is a program called, uh, GMAS. And G M A S S. If you just browse it, and it is, it's a really interesting outbound email uh, uh, software that integrates into Google, okay. and you can build um, your sequences, mail lists, you know, follow-ups, all this kind of stuff. Now it's a little takes a little while to learn how to use it because it's not like you're logging into a software thing where you put everything in it. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a little more manual, but they have a feature that is free and they have a free version of what they call spam check. Okay. Right? And what they do is they actually send your email out to, they've got all these addresses that are set up to see if they get, it gets filtered out or not. And you'll see a live thing come back on there. 
it's that sent it we sent it to 20 different ones and it's not completely random it's because these guys use barracuda these guys use this these guys use that and it'll tell you how many did it get through to and i know the first time i sent one through and it's at 20 places it only got through to three you know and then it would tell you don't you know don't use this word don't use that word and so you keep modifying it until you send it through and it gets to everybody you know and some of it is take out the links yeah you know take out the, because all of those things you know the it guy doesn't care about your messaging mm -hmm. but he's he doesn't want to get in trouble because somebody clicked on a link that you know let something bad in mm -hmm. and so you know it, they're going to look at this. Larry Weil, never heard of this guy. He's got links on there. He's got photos on there. He goes to spam. Yeah. You know, and it's like, there's so many things Like we're using something called Mimecast for our agency right now. Not an advocate at the moment. I know there's a reason for it. I know it's protecting us and I get in these battles with our IT um, yep. team, but so many, like for a while, my newsletter I was sending out stopped coming to my team even wow. because it was capturing it. And so there's so much you actually need to know. Um, we use HubSpot and I have a newsletter that goes out every Monday morning. And I get it. If it makes you feel better, I get it. I know. I'm glad because for a little <laughs> while there, after we got Mimecast, I was talking to our IT firm and they're like, oh, you use HubSpot? I'm like, yes, of course, guys. You know, HubSpot, we've used it since you know, 2016. Oh, yeah, it doesn't um, work with HubSpot. We should have told you that. And they're yeah. like, oh, well, we needed to configure it differently to be able to work with that because it's seeing <laughs> it basically as a um, spoof email, right? Uh, and gosh, so anything yeah. coming into my team members... And, but it wasn't just my team that was doing this. They're like, you know, there may have been like five to 10,000 people who were not getting your newsletter since we did this. I'm like, kill me now. Do you know how many hours I spend writing that newsletter and putting yes. every last word of love just in the hopes that, you know, three relevant people will read it and you've just taken away thousands of options for me. <laughs> so yeah. this happens. And like if, when you're doing it, you need to know your IP address, your spam protectors, your software that's in place, because you may be sabotaging your own efforts without even knowing it. And there are some fairly sophisticated tech things that I can't even really describe that have to do with settings for your domain that you're sending from mm -hmm. that you, you need to have probably a professional take a look at, yeah. you know, and, and because it'll be the difference I'll run it through. And it, by the way, if you just Google spam checker, you'll, you'll have plenty of choices mm -hmm. and, and plenty of free ones, and, you know, to, to get the idea of it. Of course, they're trying to sell you a product and a service, mm -hmm. but it's good to get the idea about whether it's going to be deliverable. And I would say, you know, if I could get it to this one that I was using would rate it, you know, on a scale of zero to 10. Right. And if I could get it to nine, I was pretty good with that, mm -hmm. you know, because I didn't and it would show me it says, well, on this particular type of filter that some companies use, you are indicated as spam. I don't know how to get off that list. Okay? <laughs> you know, and so they would. Uh, uh, but, you know, nine's pretty good. So I'm going with that. It's better than the three I used to have. Right. So, you know, that's part of it is just getting the message out now. None of that matters if your message is crap, right? Mm -hmm. So, 
you know, I always tell people, take all the stuff about you off the, you know, the first page, you flip it open and it's there, a bunch of old white guys that are on your team, you know? That's wow, a good thing I'm, to take yeah, away. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a brand and I, oh gosh, I see these old white guys on the front of their, gosh, let's, let's not even read the rest of this. Let's just hire them. They Pretty much smart. every brand out there, you guys, you have to understand is looking for diversity in DEI right now. That is incredible. Yeah. So if your team does not reflect that to some degree, you are already cutting your nose off. Yeah. And I say, you know, why should, if you've got them to where they're actually looking at a deck, which by the way, if I'm, if I'm doing a deck, I don't send them the deck. I present the deck live. If they won't let me present the deck live, I try to wait till a time where they will let me present the deck live because, you know, nobody at this, the, the prospect is going to be a better advocate for what you're doing than you yeah. are. And so, you know, when you hand that off to somebody, oh yeah, I showed the deck to my boss. My boss was in a grouchy mood, so I didn't want to bother him. And uh, yeah, he didn't like it. You know, you just, you know, you can't, risk those things you right. take all of that time to do that but yeah nobody you know like i said they don't care until they care so if you get them interested in your idea that's the thing that has to happen first they don't care about how much money it is yet they don't care about who you are yet they don't care too much it's got to, so what's the most important thing to you if you can show that you know you did this particular kind of event for their direct competitor and these are the results you got they want to know about that right okay. okay? and so you know that's one thing or if you know about a product launch they're doing and you can show one of my favorite examples ever uh you know and it's not just i hate just the same old demographics you know where it's uh, you know, it's 55% men, families, income averages between that doesn't tell anybody anything anymore. You know, a 30 year old woman could be a CEO, an MMA fighter, an astronaut, a babysitter, you know, it, it's, you need lifestyle information, something that indicates, you know, buying habits or viewing habits or, you know, mm -hmm. something that the sponsor can use because they have a, you know, a huge array of things. If the data they get from, because a lot of times the event data they get, they can put that into their digital campaign to refine their digital mm -hmm. campaign because they learned something from you. So it's not always uh, about that. But the one I like the most, because I think it's a really good example, is uh, I was doing some work with the uh, NHRA years ago, and they had some data about you know, their audience. And mm -hmm. the specific one was how frequently um, NHRA fans ate fast food. Okay. And they had a chart and it showed NHRA, NASCAR, baseball, football, you know, all these different things. And the NHRA fan um, ate fast food like 16 times a month. Okay. The next best was, was NASCAR at 13 and it went down to baseballs like six, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and so what they could put in front is our audience, our fan is a better customer. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's, it's not just, you know, not all customers are the same, right? Our customers eat, you know, you're spending money at baseball. One of my customers is worth three of those guys. So, you know, it's whatever the insight you can provide that takes them beyond this is, oh, this is just someplace you ought to be. 
Okay, I've got one last thing that I got to get in brand exposure. Okay? okay, this is this is something that everybody needs to understand. Brand exposure isn't what it used to be. Okay, digital has changed that game completely. It used to be that if you had some, you know, a, a company that was fairly new and they needed brand exposure, um, they, you know, they buy something big to get splashed on. It's like naming rights was always a good one for that. Mm -hmm. Nobody would heard of you. And all of a sudden you're on a stadium. You're going to be on ESPN constantly. You're going to be in the newspaper. They're going to mention your name. Your constantly. Frequency is massive. Your impact right. is massive. You get m massive press pickup. Yes. And I've had clients who I'd go to their annual sales meeting and they, you know, the top salespeople come and say, oh, it's so much better now when I call people have heard of us. Yeah. Okay. There's not very many opportunities like that. You know, Coca-Cola has hundred percent brand recognition. And they're expensive. Yeah. And, you know, and so that doesn't drive business and plus digitally now, you can get thousands of exposures for pennies on the dollar, mm -hmm. right? What, what's the, you know, the, the, the CPM on just, just looking at a logo. Logo doesn't drive, actually, it's a reminder. Maybe mm -hmm. it's a placeholder there. I, I can make an argument. There are times, of course, when you need brand exposure, but not so much with events, you know, unless you're talking about you're a major league stadium, you know, and, you know, you're a, you're in Atlanta and you're the Braves, you got to have Coca-Cola in there, right? Mm -hmm. So there's other reasons with the community. But, um, you know, if, if you're leading with brand exposure, now don't get me wrong, you can put that in there. It might be important. Mm -hmm. But the, you know, engagement and conversion, that's what they really need from you. Mm -hmm. They want people to get engaged more, to learn more about the brand, to, you know, build a preference for the brand, and then hopefully to get into their sales funnel. And if you can do that in a volume that's meaningful, you've got something. Yeah. But to come in and say, oh, you know, because I get, get these people all the time as well, you know, you're going to get a banner over here and you're going to get a cling film on the door and you're going to get, and it's like, okay, what everybody's- What does that do for the brand? Yes. Yeah, and I, I probably have a hundred old, dumb anecdotes about it but i once was working with the astros on a project and they had told me that they had pitched jack in the box on putting on their foul poles at the stadium if you remember the old antenna balls they used to have that was like a jack head with the thing yeah mocked it up they brought the people from jack in the box out there. i hope nobody's from the Astros is, is listening to this, but you know, and everybody, all the big executives are out in the middle of the field. They brought everybody together and they're looking up at this thing. And, and one of the executives goes, you know, that looks cool, but how is that going to help me sell more hamburgers? And, and they did not, everyone they, sat they there with their mouth opening and closing, right. opening and closing, going, hell, I don't want to have to be the one that actually answers this. Come on, someone someone has to be smarter than I and know how it's going to actually work. Well, th they didn't get the deal, but they learned from it to their power. And I believe to this day, I haven't been in the stadium for a while, but Chick-fil-A has cows crawling up the, uh, the, the top of the thing with, the, you know, the little eat more chicken banner yeah. on it, you know, so they have spotted cows on their flagpoles. So they did learn how to sell it. You know, and that's, a, you know, that's, that's a good reflection of sometimes, you know, you, you know, you whiff, but you learn for the next one. 
Yeah. But that's the other thing is, you know, ask yourself, how does this help them sell more, whatever it is? Because in the long run, that's what it's all about in all the advertising, all the marketing, you know, it's, it's selling something or persuading somebody. Uh, but mostly with what we do, it's, it's about selling something. How can our listeners learn more about you? Where can they go to find you and reach out to you? They can go to uh, the sponsorshipguy.com. It's uh, yeah, the sponsorshipguy.com. It should come up. I've been there a long time. So most of the time it comes up on the first page. Um, uh, they can subscribe to the newsletter there with just a click. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got tons and tons of content in terms of blogs and so on. Very specific advice. I I try to create value myself. If you come to my site, you will probably learn something, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I've had some very popular blogs. I know one of the most popular ones is just on job titles. Mm-hmm. It's when I'm reaching out to somebody at a company, you know, it's not, there may not be a guy called in charge of buying sponsorships. Right? There's not, like they don't red flag <laughs> that and say, yeah. this is the decision maker for this specific thing. That's not in all the sales databases. Yeah, Right. And so there's, you know, I've got these lists of some cases, you know, it might be a a sales manager. It might be a CMO. Although CMOs are pretty well protected if you don't know them. Um, A sales director, uh, you know, content creator, digital creator, you know, all of those kinds of things. So that's, it's got a long list of names you will want to consider when you're doing your research about who, you know, who who to contact. Larry, what any last words do you have as parting advice for those who are really hoping to sell their property to brands? Well, I think you have to, you know, get out of your own head. It's, you know, the old can't see the forest for the trees so often. That's the most common issue that people have. They're working so hard on their own property. And if you have an event, it's a lot of work to put together an event. And then sponsorship gets treated as a little bit of an afterthought. Of course, you know, everybody goes, oh, one day they go, well, we've been selling tickets, but we could get sponsors. That's a whole nother stream of revenue. But they kind of throw it together like, oh, yeah, yeah, here you go. You'll get banners. You'll get this. And yeah, sure, you can sell, you know, booths or 10 by 10s to vendors and things. But the big money you know, is going to require, you know, more thoughtful consideration about how you do that outreach. And so I'd say, don't treat it as an afterthought. It could be, you know, an extreme, a big difference maker. Sponsorship can make the difference between whether you're break even or you're fabulously successful. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, so give it the time it deserves. And, you know, and I think that, and whether that's studying, whether it's hiring somebody on the outside, there are people who have training about sponsorship, hiring your own internal person, uh, just, you know, educate. If you're not educated, find a, find a way to learn more. If you don't have time to do that, hire somebody who knows how to do it, mm-hmm. um, you know, some whatever those things are, but treat it as a serious part uh, as serious of a part of your business as you do your own marketing well larry thank you so much for sharing your insight i could keep on talking to you for hours i have a feeling so you'll have to come back 
and share more insights and other I topics. I would love it. I know digital is a big uh, space for you that you are really yep. trying to get people to expand in and leverage fully. Um, so thank you so much for your time today. Of course, my pleasure. And I look forward to seeing you next time you're back home. Sounds good. Okay. Thanks. Well, to our listeners, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. I look forward to chatting with you this next week. And until then, if you have interest in getting your brand to become part of the storyline in Hollywood's hottest series and feature films and music videos, or partnered with celebrities and influencers, reach out to our team. I'll connect you and we can have a deep dive conversation about how to get you started in leveraging truly something that is worth gold. I look forward to chatting with you soon. Have a great one.